Can we turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 very, very quickly? 2 Timothy chapter 3, I just want to give you a challenge from God's word to continue on. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And after we've turned there, can we just bow our heads in prayer very quickly and ask the Lord to meet with us during the Sunday school hour. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for Heritage Baptist Church and the decades of faithfulness and the 25 years of the ministry of Pastor Bish. And I pray that you'd continue things on as this is a bittersweet Sunday today, but you have uh, something going on here. Your Holy Spirit's power is amongst us, and I'm just so thrilled to be with them today as we all are. And I pray that, Father, you just focus our minds again on your word. Please set me aside. I want to be an empty suit as I speak your word and so that the words that come out would be from you and they, they would touch the hearts and touch my heart as we hear them. In your name I pray, amen. We see here in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and the title of the lesson today is, What Must We Do in This Evil Day? What must we do? Let's look at verse 14. Look what Paul says to Timothy in verse 14. He says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Where does Paul lead up to those verses, what, those verses of encouragement to Timothy? It's the beginning of chapter 3 where he kind of sets the stage for the end of chapter 3. And I think we would neglect to not look over chap, the beginning of chapter 3 to understand the context of what Paul is saying and to continue on and to stand in this evil day. So let's look at the beginning of the chapter, but we see the uh, final challenge from Paul at the end of the chapter three. But at the beginning of, chap uh, of the chapter, it says in verse one, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. So the context of those last few verses are in reference to the last days, reference of what we are to do in the face of such evil. We seek true evil today. And as Paul writes this to Timothy, I honestly believed he, he had an inclination that the Roman Empire was the last days as well. And he had a belief that they were sitting in the last days and they were in a mess at that time. You know, you had Emperor Nero who persecuted Christians. And as you read the beginning of the chapter, you can line up a lot of what Paul is saying with the Roman Empire and just the true evil of that day. But Christ didn't come 2,000 years ago after arising from the dead. He didn't come back right away, no, because we're still here. He still hasn't come. He will come. And they'll walk around and they'll say, where is the promise of his coming? And his promise is sure. He will be back very soon. And we should be aware as, these, as we sit in these last days once again that Jesus is coming and is coming. It's just around the corner. That's why we must be busy about the Father's business. But that's not the main, uh, main emphasis right now. I want you to see verse 2 as Paul begins to describe the evil that would be seen in the last days and perilous times. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, 
Of course, you see in verse 2 the mention of the me-first attitude, the lovers of their own selves, the covetous, those that want to attain something that they could not rightly have, boasters, people that are continually talking about themselves. I read passages in Proverbs today that dealt with the issue of boasting, the proud, the blasphemers, people who continually take the name of our Lord in vain, disobedient to parents, unthankful. It's interesting that Paul mentions the word unthankful as in reference to the last days. We live in the Western world. We're spoiled, rotten. We really are. God has blessed us. You know, we have 4% of the world's population. And I think they say 40% of the world's wealth or something more than that. We just enjoy so much of the, uh, the pleasures of wealth and security that comes with that. However, we become some of the most unthankful people in return to our God. And I believe, Christians, as we read these verses, know you're not immune to any of this that is mentioned. The world wants us to conform to them. We are not to do so. And we don't have to. We can walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But he mentions the unthankful, the unholy. Verse 3, without natural affection. And that's the sexual perversion that we see in today's times. The homosexuality, bestiality, transgender movement. Truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Verse 4 mentions the traitors, the heady, the high-minded, the lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And, and we can just think back, and Christian, be careful with that. You know, continually feeding your flesh. The lovers of pleasure is more than lovers of God. You know, my flesh does not want to read my Bible. It doesn't. My flesh, my sin nature doesn't want to pray. You know what? That's the old man. We're not supposed to live there anymore. We're supposed to live in the new man and walk in that newness of life. But we see that in today, you know, the continual distraction of the pleasures of our world. Be careful with that. But again, it's another sign of the end times. And of course, more is mentioned. For sake of time, I won't go through everything. You see the words and you see the verses that, are, that discuss what the world, where the world is going. Verse 5 talks about having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away that false, fake Christianity. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts. It's interesting that he ends the perversion per se with mentioning sexual immorality and just complete perversion. And we as Christians must steer away from that. But it's interesting that everything's out of the closet today, isn't it? It's out in the open. It was out in the open in Roman times as well. It's out in the open today as, as we see in America. The perversion of our world. It's very much in our face, isn't it? It's very much in uh, the young, our young generation's face. Then Paul continues on and he t takes a turn here and continues on talking about the last days. But he then goes into talking about the intellectual minds that we would start noticing where they're going. In verse 7, 8, and 9, the Bible says, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, for they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. Who is this Janus and Jambres that Paul mentions in um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, put your marker there and let's go to Exodus chapter 7. We'll be returning very quickly to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Is this on? 
Is this, is this mic on? Oh, it's not on. Oh, I, I do apologize. Maybe I flipped something. Yeah, it could very well be on me. All right. Okay, I'll just stand behind the pulpit. That's okay. Exodus chapter 7. Sorry about that. Exodus chapter 7. Who is this Janus and Jambres that Paul mentions in 2 Timothy chapter 3? The learned men, the men that are ever learning and ever able to come to the knowledge of the truth, men of corrupt minds. Who are these men that he mentions? Exodus chapter 7, and if we take our eyes to verse 8, we see the context of who these people are and what leads up to their appearing in Scripture. And I know you're not going to see their names mentioned in Scripture, but there's a common correlation to what they did with Moses. So many theologians believe these are the men that are mentioned, and this is where they're found. Verse 8, the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Show a miracle for you, thou shalt say unto Aaron, Take thy rod. Cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. So God's getting Pharaoh's attention, and he's going to get Pharaoh's attention by using a miracle of turning a dead piece of wood into a slithering serpent. Now, how many of you like snakes? Oh, okay, we got two hands. These are the crazy ones I'll avoid shaking hands with after church. I'm just kidding. Anyway. Some of you like snakes. Many of us didn't raise our hands. I'm not a snake person. I'll just tell you this right now. One thing you'll know about me, I just not, I'm not crazy about snakes. I don't like them slithering all over me. I remember one time we went to this, um, it was like a little zoo that they had and they took this big python and they wanted to sit it on all the kids. And I just, I wasn't too thrilled about that. But anyway, getting back to the lesson. So God's gonna use the, taking, the imagery of taking a dead piece of wood and turning it into a slithering serpent. And surely this will be the beginning of getting Pharaoh's attention. And what was God trying to do? He was gonna get Pharaoh's attention and let him know very surely that this is of the Lord, that he is to let the Israelis go. These Israeli slaves that were in bondage for years, for hundreds of years, to let them go and let them return to their promised land. And Moses and Aaron were going to be leaders in that. So God sends them to Pharaoh and they do as the Lord commanded. And they threw down that rod and boom, it became a serpent. Surely that got Pharaoh's attention. It it would get my attention very much. You'd see me running, maybe screaming. Don't do that. But anyway, here comes a serpent. And what does Pharaoh do? He looks to his wise men that, that he had around him in verse 11 And then Pharaoh also called the wise men, the sorcerers, and the magicians of Egypt. And they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. And he hardened Pharaoh's heart, that he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh looked to his counselors, his wise men, his sorcerers, and he saw the miracle in front of him, and he told them, explain this away. And we live in a day today, the intellectual world today, that they do all they can in their power to get a group of people together, kind of a mob mentality, and they're going one direction, and their direction is explaining away the supernatural things of God. We live in that today. 
you're in the midst of all of that. We've got a lot of universities around here. I met a young man in the elevator um, yesterday. He's checking in the university on Monday. He's so excited about that. But we have many universities and many places of learning. And first thing they'll do when the check-in of students put them in philosophy class. When they're in school for engineering, why do they go into philosophy? Why? Because they want to start right at the beginning by asking them questions. If God created everything, who created God? And if you don't know the answer to that question, see your pastor or I'd be happy to talk you through with them. There's many other wise people, I'm sure, in this room that can answer that question for you. But they'll use questions like that to sow confusion amongst us. And they'll try to get us to go into that neutral phase and to no longer push forward for God. Instead, to go with the mob. And we see Christians going with the mob. And we surely see the world going with that mob. And that mob is going straight into the gates of hell. And they are the learned people. They have their podcasts. They're on YouTube. Their their information's on the boards. Whenever you go to the Grand Canyon or some natural place of beauty, they'll try to explain how in millions of years this was created instead of a worldwide flood that completely changed the face of our world, which we can clearly see as we look through the lenses of creation and the lens of God's word. But that's what they want to do. They want to get people to stop opening their Bibles and instead listen to their lies. And that's what these men did with Pharaoh. They explained away the supernatural. They explained away the Red Sea turning into blood. They explained away, per se, the frogs coming out. But when everything came to head, it's when they could not explain away the boils that began to appear. And they couldn't explain away the darkness that would cover Egypt. They could not explain away the firstborns being killed amongst even Pharaoh's firstborn in the nation of Egypt. They couldn't explain that away. And you know who lost their job when the children of Israel left Egypt? These men. Nobody listened to them anymore. These learned men, Janus and Jambres of that day. And you know what? These people that are leading our world in folly, they will find out in hell what their work did. And my heart breaks for those people. But my heart breaks even more for the people that followed those people. Don't be that person. Go back to 2 Timothy chapter three. And can I just say, Christian, we should not cower in their midst. We should take a stand. We have everything we need found in the word of God. You know, you may want to dabble in some philosophy, and if that's your decision, fine, but I really believe the Bible gives us everything we need to answer with reproof, and we'll see that in just a minute, the word reproof, reproving the folly of our world. But going back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, we, uh, we then see Paul begin to give um, what I believe is the answer of what we should do in the face of evil, and I'm going to give you three points, and then we'll be done for this Sunday school lesson time. But what should we do in the face of such evil? Number one, we'll see this in a minute, but we should first acknowledge the testimonies of faith who have influenced us for Christ, those that were real. Where do you see that? It's in verse 10. Paul begins to use his life as a testimony. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Those that were real. 
those that were real. We should acknowledge those people and be thankful for those people for sticking with the stuff. I don't believe Paul was speaking out of a heart of pride. I believe it was a heart of humility that was trying to show Timothy, look, Timothy, you knew I was real. And many of you, pastor, and many of you in this room, thank you, can I just say thank you for being real? We in the next generation honor you. We salute you. And can I just now say, it is our turn to be real as well. To really live out the Christian life. And to continue on. Paul gives Timothy that challenge. Number one, acknowledge the testimonies of faith who have influenced us for Christ. Secondly, understand judgment will come in God's time. Verse 13, the Bible says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Why does that verse there? We've already talked about Janus and Jambres. We've already know that their folly will be revealed and they will be humiliated one day. Why is verse 13 there? Just to give you a a thought that I've seen from God's word and you may have a different interpretation, but I believe the Lord knew that we would get into an apathy mode as Christians, that we'd get so sick of the wickedness. Are you sick of the wickedness? Are you sick of sin? But can I just say, do you love the sinner and hate the sin? Do you still love that vile sinner? Because remember, we are one of those as well. We're wretched. Thank the Lord for salvation. And the world needs to hear about this salvation. But as Christians, we can get so sick with where this world is going that we no longer have compassion to pass out that gospel tract. You know what I'm talking about. I've been there many times. We just walk on by. So winning time no longer has an importance to us. Going out and evangelizing or passing out a track to my colleague, my new colleague at the workplace, no longer has an importance to us. And I know I'm probably speaking a lesson to the, to the choir this morning. I know you're actively getting out the gospel in your region. I'm thankful for you. But are you still continuing on? Or have we got sick with that? Too sick with, of the wickedness that we forgot our compassion and that we should still care, and we should keep moving forward. Judgment will come in God's time. He will take care of it. He will balance out the scales. The book of Revelation, we already know what is about to happen. Let's leave it with God, and let's just keep moving forward. Keep getting out the gospel. And then final, final point I want to give you today, final truth, is we should continue in the assured word. Verse 14, the Bible says, but continue thou in the things that thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. My friend, is this your Bible? Do you know this as the truth? Or is this just something that's been passed to you and out of duty you've decided to pick it up? Or have you decided to claim it as yourself, for yourself? Are you assured in your faith? Timothy had an assurance about the word of God. Are you assured in the person of Jesus Christ and his word, his word revealed to us, himself revealed to us? We should know the scriptures though. He, he, t- he talked to Timothy how he had known the scriptures. You see this also in verse 15. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. A couple subpoints, but number one, are you saved? We should continue in the assured word and that, sh- that will lead us to salvation. When was your day of salvation? When was the day somebody opened a Bible 
and showed you how you could be 100% sure that when you died, you'd go to heaven. When was that day? Do you know that for sure? Timothy knew the scriptures. He meditated on the scriptures. I believe Timothy was skilled in the scriptures. We should do so likewise. And when I just threw out the word meditation, now let me bounce back to that. Meditation is not what they say in Eastern religion, which is an emptying of mind, and you go into this empty state and your mind goes blank. That's not meditation, true meditation. Meditation is taking a part of God's word and mulling over it and reading it and listening to it and making sure it sinks deep within our hearts. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. That's Psalm 119. I don't have the verse in front of me. And then can I also, as we, as we continue in the assured word, can I also point out that we should understand the Bible's purpose in our life. And that's found very squarely in verse 16. How the Bible's given to us, and we'll read the verse. All scripture, scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, number one, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And then verse 17 follows, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We have everything we need. And this Bible tells us why we do what we do. That's the doctrine. It gives us the reproof we need to use to answer the folly. It gives us the correction we need in our personal lives to get back on the right track. And it instructs us in how we are to live right. How we are to live right. What are we doing with the Bible though? What are we doing in the face of this evil day? Have you, got discouraged, have you gotten discouraged, my friend? I'm done with the lesson today, but let me follow up with those three points. Are you thankful for the testimonies of faith who've influenced you for Christ, and have you made a decision to be just like them and to continue on? Secondly, have you let God's judgment come in his time? Have you just given it to God and decided, I'm gonna keep doing what I'm supposed to be doing? And then thirdly, are we continuing on and spending time in his word. Where are we today? Can we pray? Father in heaven, Lord, thank you.